This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Coolman. And you're listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111, not to be confused with Hits 1, <laughs> If even though you might be a Katy Perry fan. Uh, we're about to talk. We should just have that running in, in the background at a low level for, through the entire conversation. I know. I think my energy level at this early <laughs> in the morning, I'd be kind of dancing in my seat the whole time. Um, so thank you, Dion, for always producing the, the hot jams for us. Um, we're going to shift gears back to business and social impact. We're speaking with Chris Grantham, who is portfolio director for IDEO, which is a design and consulting firm. I work for its sister nonprofit, IDEO.org. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi there. Thanks very much for having me. You bet. Um, all right. So IDEO, for those who have not been inside, is is obviously really a cool company. It's very admired. But tell us a little more about, you know, the type of work that you guys do, and then we'll define what in the world is the circular economy. Right. Yeah. Um, so IDEO is, uh, is uh, as you said, it's a, we're, we're really an uh, innovation consultancy, but we use a process uh, called design thinking. And design thinking is really a pretty straightforward, actually, kind of trial and error uh, development process that is very uh, – multidisciplinary so we get lots of interesting kind of creative angles from people with different design disciplines or trying to uh, crack a, a, a problem for our, for our uh, for our clients so it's it's a um, it's a design process we follow or design thinking process we follow which is essentially a kind of a, a creative process that we uh, that we apply to solving uh, often quite complex uh, problems for our, for our clients those are the best kinds to solve <laughs> And it's certainly yeah, right. and it's so, certainly not a you know funny funnily enough with the as we get into the circular economy conversation design thinking is also not linear in itself. That's a really good point, um, and actually that's one of the reasons why we kind of got together with uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who, who, who we can talk about, but they, they are a foundation that is really pioneering the the circular economy uh, framework and trying to uh, help the, the world uh, transform towards the circular economy and. They identified that the great thing about design thinking, it's a really interesting theory of change. And if you like, better than that, it's a, it's a process for change and transformation. So, you know, we take uh, problems, we, we, we break them down into bite-sized chunks, we identify, we design and prototype solutions. And through that learning loop, as you say, it's, it's kind of circular, through that, through that learning loop, we learn about what works and doesn't work. And so it enables us to kind of, Build confidence, uh, build build momentum around around a, a, an initiative, and and really move things forward, um, learning as we go. And that's a that's a that's an important point to make because the secular economy is a huge task. Uh, the, the design of the secular economy is a huge task, and uh, we need a, a way of kind of being able to kind of manage that in some way and, and mi- mitigate our risks. Yeah, and I like the description you gave because it, it it sort of helps people to understand that part of Part of the way you approach these big problems is through a process that allows you to take some steps and to sort of move forward and not just sit there and go, oh, my God, the problems are so big, I don't know what to do. And then you go hang your head. Inertia. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's um, – I mean, this isn't unique to design in the circular economy, but that is actually a more 
agile and we think appropriate, a more adaptive approach to, to strategy creation in, in terms of creating the, the business models and, and, and the pathways for organizations to adapt to the circular economy as they start to learn where value lies in terms of what they're creating for the marketplace and being able to adapt. And, and you know, the circular economy, like any, um, any fit system, and it, like, the, like the natural world, you know, is, is a very um, a adaptive system. And so that idea that uh, we don't have kind of waterfall strategy processes anymore, but we're actually more in tune to the market and adapting perhaps to, you know, the material flows, how they're changing and all that kind of thing that I'm sure you want to get into. Uh, yes. You know, that, that's an interesting uh, principle, I think. All right, Chris. So we've been sort of nibbling at the edges of the circular economy already in our short segment. So, so what in the world is it? And and if we can break it down for our listeners. The, uh, yeah. So um, I guess at its simplest level, and then I'll give you some examples. At its simplest level, it is a uh, an economy that envisages a circular flow of materials in that economy. Um, working within uh, uh, the natural cycle, working within the industrial cycle in a, in a circular flow, enabled by data and services. Um, and so it's really um, a lot more than kind of just recycling um, because it's a vision for a, an economy. It's a bit more upstream than, 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 than recycling. It's, it's a vision for uh, how whole businesses can, can transform um, so it's it's um so if we take an example if we take the example of a of a of a, of a sneaker for example um you know um the shoe the, the shoe the <laughs> shoe as we would say in the UK a training shoe a running shoe running example. shoe um you know we we probably throw those away having maybe used ten percent having maybe consumed or used up maybe ten percent um of of the material so it, it really would be kind of like it's almost a falsehood to say we are a consumer really of that of that running shoe because we, we aren't really using it up um, and in fact that running shoe that we treat once we've used it as waste is potentially a quite a valuable resource you know a lot of well a lot of resources were invested in creating it that we're not maximizing the value of and actually all of a sudden if I'm a, a leading a running shoe manufacturer and I can create a loop in which you you or we get that training should that running shoe back I might be able to uh, build a service there and so that can start to create deeper brand relationships maybe I'm even in, embedding some smarts in it like some sensors that allow me to uh, to kind of learn more about the way your kind of foot works and or you know so when I get that old old running shoe back or maybe I scan it and I can give you a new one but it's like it's like a used one in, in the sense it fits you perfectly there's lots of things you can see that companies can build around this flow of materials that makes it potentially quite attractive from a value creation point of view. So it's, 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 a, it's an economy in which these materials are, uh, uh, in which nothing really is treated as waste. It's kind of like um, someone said to me the other day, it's a bit like a good um, Im improv act, a good comedy act. You know, like you get uh, someone heckles from the audience, and if they're really good, they will treat that as, a, as an opening and as an opportunity. And it's a similar kind of mindset frame here. We're saying all kind of waste and byproducts should be, that we call waste and byproducts, should be seen as an opportunity, a nutrient, uh, a resource for other businesses or maybe for our own business if we look at it differently. So it's different from recycling then in, in part because of the mindset and in part because it's, um, it's not just sending a product to a, another location who recycles it. Is, it. is it largely because this is internal, that it's circular rather than linear recycling? Right. Yeah. So it could be. So a lot of the, um, 
you know, and, and, and this is um, a point around how do we transform to it. And, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of sense in businesses, um, obviously, um, finding value now in the short term uh, in, in this rather than it just being a long-term play. And a lot of the short-term innovation is, as you sort of described, in what we call kind of these closed loops. So it's like a relationship that the manufacturer has with the user whereby they, they, they ensure there's infrastructure and incentives for those materials to flow back in a closed loop. But then there's also, um, there's also uh, the open system, the wider, uh, wider economy, and there's a lot of uh, innovation potential there as well. So if we think of the materials that we, the, the, the waste materials, if you like, that we, that we produce or, or, or byproducts, they may well have other users that we, we just aren't tapping into in the economy. So, for example, um, you know, I know someone who's created a children's shoe business based on the leather offcuts from the automobile industry that are just kind of thrown away when, from the seat manufacturing mm -hmm. process. So he's creating an entirely new business based on an, what is considered an unwanted waste stream. But in doing that, of course, it's not any, anymore an unwanted waste stream. It's a valuable nutrient that is that is um, you know kind of created enterprise in this case and created another business. Another so man's trash is another man's yeah. treasure, right? Exactly. That's is a that... very good way of, way of putting it. <laughs> so, Chris, I, I think that I could explain this, um, but I, and I, I think what you've what you've described is quite important implicit if not explicit but why is this important you said you've meant you partnered with the ellen macarthur foundation to help with this movement i've even heard tim brown the ceo or head of ido describe this as even the future of design where why is it important and where does ido fit into this right so um so i think there's a couple of big things in what you said there i think so the the ellen macarthur foundation we we, we i mean ido has long been involved in um yeah, systems change work, systems design work. Um, design thinking lends itself very well to designing systems because with all those different brains in the room that I described at the beginning, the business, the industrial brain, the organizational design brain, we can think across systems quite nicely. And so the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we, we, um, Tim Brown met Ellen MacArthur at, at um, the World Economic Forum, uh, which is very much that, that forum for thinking about systems and systems mm -hmm. change, you know. And I think they were fascinated because as a, as a design agency, you know, we spend a lot of time actually thinking not about the, the, the big picture business case very often, although the, that's the foundation have done an amazing job of, of, of showing the, the trillions that can be created if we, if we adopt circular business models. But we, 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 had, we came to them and actually we'd been doing some thinking around what we call that the regenerative home and community. So we had a, a bit of a narrative around how you know, we see a, a great localizing of the economy through various technology trends. And actually, you know, that, that kind of lifestyle might be quite interesting for us as we live in circular cities. Um, and they were, they were intrigued by our kind of human scale kind of narrative on this, on this subject. So that was kind of how we first sort of met. We were presenting a picture of a, of a new world of abundance. You know, we were saying this could be a really positive story, very unlike the sustainability stories of old, and um, they were intrigued by that, and so that's how we got talking. But as I said earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, as I said earlier, it's the, the um, design thinking sort of pathway to change that I think they thought would be a really good combination with their kind of big picture, uh, you know, why we need the circular economy kind of approach. But to your answer your question about the design, um, the, the, the impact really on IDEO and, and well, any design agencies, we, we do see some, some new aspects to the role of the designer and the role of design. 
Um, we need to be thinking a lot more around bigger systems of users um, and usages of, of, of materials and also really including now sort of supply chains in, in the design process and the way we think. This, is very, this impacts really all aspects of a business and its supply chain potentially. So it's that broader perspective a designer now needs to have, that ability to zoom out and think about the wider business ecosystem, not just stay focused on the product they're designing. And of course, when we think about not just uh, you know, designing something for one use, but we're thinking about its after use, we start to think about a design process that is no longer has a typical beginning, middle and end. Uh, it, it is a more circular design process. We may even, as a designer now, have to be more interdisciplinary. And, and thank you, thank, thankfully, a lot of the great courses around the world that can, designers can now do make them much more business and system savvy. And so, as a designer, I might now have to design my product to, uh, with some built-in intelligence that allows it to um, operate on a kind of uh, provide a feedback loop, provide data that allows us to track how it's been used or its usefulness to other people. And this is a, this is a far more, um, I suppose, holistic uh, concept of, of design than designers have been traditionally taught uh, that was, was their role, I suppose. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And we are talking about the circular economy with Chris Grantham, portfolio director at IDEO. And, and Chris, I want to uh, just emphasize a point that, that you, you're making that I thought was really interesting and a, a flipped a switch for me in some sense. Well, you were talking about thinking about this as a, as a, a society of abundance, right, rather than scarcity. And that I think, you know, so part of this is we've gone from being the case where well, I don't want to talk long time ago, but sort of maybe in the past 50 years where if we didn't need something, we threw it away. And then we went to sort of saying, well, if I don't need something, I'm going to recycle it. And then to thinking about, well, if I, if I think about what I might have otherwise thrown away or recycled, how do I, how do, how, how do I turn that into something else? You know, so then it becomes something that you can use rather than just discard, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also a big desire to move away from some of the you know, the aspects of sustainability, which were seen to either just be dealing with um, a problem at the so-called end of pipe. You know, how do we mop up and cope with the, the, this, this impact that consumption is having on the world? When actually we want to focus in the circuit economy on more upstream change to the whole system so that uh, it's less about, you know, the, if you like, the, just the user behavior being kind of uh, damaging or detrimental. It's, it's, but it's more about having the right system in, in, in the first place. And, uh, that's one aspect. The other thing I think is to say, yes, that in the past we've said, oh, you know, don't maybe, you know, we've almost been made to feel guilty about maybe consuming a lot of things. And, uh, and that is that's not necessarily good for business. It's not necessarily very in tune with our instincts to live a full life. So I think that the great thing about the circular economy narrative is it says, let's, let's celebrate the right kind of system. You know, let's use uh, as much as we need to use to make our life uh, you know, full and rich, uh, and let's uh, let, but let's do that within a system that works for the long term. So I think, as you say, what's super interesting maybe for brands, for example, is to be able to sort of frame this as no longer are you about minimizing your impact if you're if you're a good person. Now, if, now, now, if you're a good a good and inverted commas person, you're about maximizing your impact. You're about having a almost regenerative impact if you're buying from uh, circular businesses, you know. So I think that's a super interesting thing that's yet to really kind of come into the mainstream, but I think that idea that this is a positive 
let's let's celebrate design, let's celebrate uh, the economy kind of narrative. Chris, I wanted to ask you uh, in, an, in, a, in a, excuse me, in an in, in I can't even say it. in an example. <laughs> uh, gosh, tongue tied. But you, I was reading about an example with I think Amsterdam's airport and Philips and how they're not buying light bulbs anymore, mm. but Philips is providing a service. Can you describe that in a little more detail? For I think that yeah. I think that's a really interesting interesting example. It's a fascinating. It's a great example. It's a great example. And uh, so the, I think the, the the context there is that um, that is a a, a product to service business model shift. Uh, you know, we, we have, um, you know, the, and the circular economy is definitely uh, pushing that kind of shift. It, it makes, there's a lot of value for businesses within, a, within circular models if they make those shifts for the reasons that I explained earlier, that, uh, you know, as the, um, you know, we can add a lot of value to the relationship to the, to the user through a service um, around the circulation of materials. And the, the, the example that you, that you gave is where instead of, uh, selling that business uh, light bulbs that they that they use and they throw away, they sell them the service of light. So Philips comes in and maintains that lighting, and because they have a, a service relationship, they're able to invest in in higher technology products that have the benefit of uh, you know that maybe the bulb is lasting longer, lower energy costs for that business. Because they're in touch with that business and that material stream, they can give them the very very latest technology, and of course. They can start to develop all sorts of valuable data streams from that lighting system that, again, can both enhance and deepen their service relationship with that business, but also lower the costs for that, that business and potentially even lead to uh, innovation. I mean, one can go on talking about it, but the jet engine industry has, has, um, has been doing this for, for years. Um, so these business models are not necessarily new. I mean, the, the sharing economy uh, has been around before a lot of this recent talk about the, the, the circular economy. But these are enabling business models that enable greater circularity um, because they because either we're sharing goods rather than just buying new ones or we are reconditioning, uh, we're sort of servicing, uh, so washing machines, for example. We may want to... Um, we may want to keep a washing machine for longer, uh, and we can do that if, if we can have the parts uh, serviced, they are changed before they fail, that so makes life much more convenient for us. And it's that kind of, sort of service relationship. Um, if you think of the jet engine model, you know, the, the, buy, the, the pay per hour kind of model that means the airlines don't have to own the engine, and because the, the, the engine manufacturer retains ownership, they can afford to invest more in that product and actually provide a, probably a better experience and and, and service it in, in a way that is, is sort of mutually beneficial. Well, I found the light bulb example kind of interesting because I was thinking there, you know, right now if I buy light bulbs, nobody, the company who makes them doesn't know how long they last, how how I use it, satisfaction levels, et cetera. But if Philips is supplying light, then they can work with the, the bulbs and understand what works, what doesn't, which one is better. They'll get, they get a lot of information about their product that they might not otherwise get. Yes, and that's and they get, yes, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. It's, it's that ability to get the, the feedback and the insights that allow them to iterate their own design. So, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a great sort of elongated but circular design process going on there, yeah. So this is this seems very cutting edge. I was mentioning at the top of the show that actually Wharton in their International Global or Environmental Leadership Program, IGEL, they have sort of a special focus on the circular economy, too, which I don't know a lot about myself, but I'm excited about it. Um, 
but it seems like it's cutting edge. We don't know as much as maybe we should or we'd like to yet. So what are the what are the big challenges and what do you forecast as the, the next big thing for the circular economy? Right. I think um, so I think we're definitely seeing a, a bit of a, a linear renaissance at the moment, um, actually. Uh, so I think that, you know, it's really important that the circular economy narrative stays focused on, you know, this is great for business. You know, this is about we talk about uh, a lot in the circular economy shared value creation. And as long as that's in good good tension, it, in other words, it's providing that, you know, it's, it's providing business in, it's driving business innovation uh, and, and, and business models that are good for, you know, society and planet and business. And I think, you know, that's, that, that has to be kind of kept in, in, in good sort of a harmony, that, 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 that tension, if you like. So um, I think, you know, if, for example, the, the narrative just back into just being kind of good for the planet, uh, it fails to kind of meet the needs we have today around, you know, job creation, around uh, value creation. You know, this is a, a really innovative value creation lens. It does ask questions of businesses in terms of what is the long-term health of your business? Uh, you know, if we're in a, um, you know, if they're in a business that is still shackled to finite natural resources and is still, you know, adding a huge amount, for example, to ocean pollution, you know, that is a business model that is not going to work for them in the long term. It's a self-defeating system. Um, uh, so there is questions being asked around long-term value creation, but it's that short-term value creation piece that we also have to have in, in, in kind of tension there, and that's really, really uh, important. And I think, um, so that's, I think that's, that's, that, 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 therein that lies a lot of the kind of challenge and opportunity. I think, you know, this is... This is um, you know, these are big transformations for businesses that they need to make in the long term, uh, and they need to start to look at now. And because you know, the, the, this is going to sound a bit of a, a contradiction, but the long term ain't what it used to be in the sense that <laughs> a lot of these issues now are, are medium term. That's you know, right. A lot of, there are parts of the world now where um, businesses are destroying their own markets through their practices. Well, it sounds like a really exciting frontier for IDEO, and I love that creative tension, and I think there will be a lot of innovation. We need to take a short break, but stay with us. When we get back, we'll be speaking with Leslie Grossblatt, COO and VP of Product for The Board List. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.